Hello and welcome back to another episode of Rightfully So Podcast, your podcast for everything first-year writing, for students, for their instructors, and anybody else interested in nerding out about writing. Uh, for this episode, we're going to be talking about writing across genres or, or maybe more specifically for academia, writing across the curriculum. Uh, most campuses in America have some sort of writing across the curriculum requirement, meaning that no matter what class you're taking, you're going to have to do some writing. Uh, and this is in recognition that our national standards in terms of like literacy and writing were sort of plummeting. And it felt like students weren't doing enough writing, that they were getting like the English class one semester each academic year. And, and then maybe they, they took like a, I don't know, like a, like any, uh, a composition class or like a genre class or something uh, to meet their language requirement. And then they were sort of like done with it. Um, and, and recognizing this need, you know, like I said, a lot of campuses came up with this writing across the curriculum. And I remember the first time that when I encountered it as a student in college, I was taking a tennis class. I was like, Hey, this, this counts for my PE credits. It fulfills this requirement. And then one day the teacher's like, here's your writing prompt. You got to write like three pages on, <laughs> I'm like, wait, I'm like, I'm out here on a tennis court. Like, uh, is everybody else getting this writing prompt or is it, is it just, am I hallucinating this right now? So as a student, you need to be prepared that regardless of the course you're in, there's, there's a good chance that you're going to be asked to write at least you know, a paper of at least a couple of three pages, right, about that subject, even if it's not traditionally a writing class. Uh, and and I felt that- And they're very different, right? Like, so I think this is oh, what you're trying to get to is like, yeah. what you wrote for tennis class is, is different probably than what you had to write for your science class in a lab report versus like in your literature class, it was a poetry analysis. And so- it's the shifting from, it's just very different, right? Like it's all writing, but we even think about them a little differently, right? Like, so to get there, right? So it's, it, it, it can be a lot, but it is this idea that there are some things that are common, right? Like, so we, before, when we were talking about this, it's like, you're, and, and maybe you can speak to this a little bit, you're a technical writer by trade, um, so obviously that's different than writing academically. Yeah, it is. I mean, yes and no. Okay. Uh, and, and I think this is, this is sort of the point I think ultimately we're going to try and make if I, if I may spoil the ending a little bit, but, um, you know, Cal State San Marcos and many universities have some sort of general ed writing requirement. You got to take this class in your first year. And at Cal State San Marcos, they're very explicit or, or prescriptive about it. You must take this GEW, this general ed writing course within the first calendar year, um, or you know, you're know you in trouble trying to graduate later on. Uh, and it's because the campus sort of recognizes that you need this writing skill to be successful academically. Um, and, and I get those students who are like, I'm a business major, I'm a math major, I'm a STEAM, what have you. Um, but I, I use my experience as an example as a technical writer. And that is writing, technical writing is writing about technical subjects. It turns out that all of the skills that I developed while working as an undergrad and working through my graduate program in literature and writing studies has transferred very effectively to my professional career as a technical writer. Um, things like, uh, you know, discovery research, um, critical thinking and analysis, um, assessing the credibility of your sources, uh, planning, pre-writing, drafting, revision, like all of these things come into play, even though I'm writing about how to fly an airplane 
in, in on the surface, they feel like different things. Um, and what's really funny is when I first got the job as a technical writer, I knew nothing about airplanes or avionics or even about the particular airframe my company builds. Um, I sort of walked in there on the merit of, I can write about anything, just give me the specific vocabulary. <laughs> um, and, and I ultimately sort of joke that that's the big difference that between the technical writing that I do now and, and the writing that I did as an academic, um, it boils down to audience and purpose. Um, that's the big, the big difference, right? I know I have a very narrowly defined and very specific audience that I'm writing for, for a very specific and narrowly defined purpose. And I have sort of this bucket of allowable jargon or, or very or subject specific terms that I'm allowed to use, but that's sort of it. Everything else feels largely the same in terms of, you know, those sort of like soft reportable skills, the research to critical thinking and the pre-writing, the planning and the actual drafting and revision. That's really important because I think when we think about all these different types of writing, we tend to focus more on the format, right? Like <laughs> this is like a lab report looks different because I need a section on methodology or whatever it ends up being. Um, it's been a while since I've taken oh, materials and methods, right? Like, so I, I went and looked at one before <laughs> we started because I, I was like, wait, I can't remember. It's been a while. Um, and so that's going to be a different format than um, maybe what you would write and or write in business, like in terms of a grant or a memo. Um, and so we tend to think of them as like by their differences, right? Like their format, the format is usually different. Um, but what you're talking about in terms of audience and purpose and the, the expectations your audience have, that's common, not the audience itself, but that you have to think about those things. So that's really it, right? Like that's what you learn in these writing classes, not only critical thinking and writing, but really awareness or like almost without thinking about it, like, okay, so why am I writing this? What do I need to accomplish in that? And being able to switch that because in a lot of work, it's not just one type of writing you do. Yeah, you don't. And, and, and that's another great point too, is that um, in, in the professional part of my life, I keep sort of separating, you know, teaching from this idea of professional, although teaching is a profession, but it's a convenient distinction for me to be like academic writing versus professional writing. But uh, in my professional life, um, I do a lot of different kinds of writing too. Uh, and all of it sort of falls under the umbrella of business communication or technical writing, depending on who you talk to. Um, emails to engineers and program managers, like there's a certain level of, of um, audience expectation there. Like, you know, what am I trying to get done? Like engineers, they want you to sort of get to the point and then usually give them like a yes or no type of question. Um, they hate long winded explanations. Like how does this thing work? They hate those. But if you explain it to them wrong, they'll tell you the right way to do it. So there's a hack, by the way. Um, if you want the right answer, tell the engineer the wrong one first. They can't help but correct you. You know, program managers, they're all about like details. They want to know the budget stuff and hours, time spent. Like, you know, they're so... It's funny, like they're all emails, but because the audience has different needs or expectations, I find that I write them all differently, right? And I've got like strategies for how to sort of communicate information in each one of them. Uh, if I'm just doing like team chat over like Microsoft Teams or Slack or whatever, then obviously it's way more informal. It's like, yo, what's up? Come to my desk or, hey, what do you think of this? And then send a link. Um, and all of that is is sort of classified as code switching, uh, which is something else that you you probably do unconsciously, which is modify your language and your presentation based on your audience and their expectations. Um, and all of it, you have to sort of like consider, but again, it's like, 
good grammar translates like mm -hmm. using complete sentences using grammar properly um, using complete sentences using paragraph format when necessary like all of these things are again portable skills so that even though you learn them in quote unquote a humanities classroom you can still bring them to your mba program you can still bring them to your your science and technology classroom you can bring them to your chemistry classroom right um and i i will say one thing about form and format right and and us focusing on form and format in terms of like different disciplines within academia it is a convenient way to ignore the question of audience and purpose mm -hmm. things like um, following the MRAD format or when your instructor gives you like, this is the lab report format for your class or, you know, hey, this is what we want this report or whatever that you're going to submit to the instructor for a grade. Like when they give you form and format, that's a really convenient way to sort of ignore the audience and purpose question, right? Because the medium is the message in that sense. Like as long as you fill out the format properly, you know, you put the methods and materials in the right spot and you put your results in the right spot and you put your description of the you know outcome and your assessment all in the right spot, you're probably gonna get a fair passing grade on that report, right? And I think that's why students sometimes see these things as separate, right? Oh, GEW is just humanities writing and I'll never use this because I'm gonna go over here. Um, and I have a business memo format I have to follow in my MBA class. And this is how to write like a formal email, or this is how you do a grant proposal. Because all those things have like requirements and formats and forms that you have to sort of follow. Uh, but I would still say that don't fall into the trap of thinking that audience and purpose don't apply if you're given sort of a template. Like don't let the template dictate your, the quality of your writing, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Something occurred to me when you were talking about code switching too, to go back to that. You were saying earlier about how sometimes you have to take information and translate it for a particular audience, right? So what did you mean exactly when you were talking about that? Yeah, so I made the joke that uh, my job is largely translating engineering into pilot. Um, and it does go into code switching, right? So engineers tend to be very precise and specific in their communication. Um, and what's really funny is that sometimes that means they won't commit to something, uh, which is sort of hilarious, right? Uh, so I'll be like, hey, uh, yes or no, flying at more than 120 knots is bad. And they go, I mean, generally, yes. But you know, if you're in this configuration, it doesn't really matter, right? And so they start giving me like all of these different scenarios. And I'm like, no, I need yes or no, <laughs> right? Because um, if I give a pilot too many options, they're going to go into like executive yeah. function disorder. They're going to shut down and they're just, you know, they're going to come back and they're going to want an answer, right? Yes or no. Um, so a lot of times the, what I find myself doing is, is taking that engineering information and sort of making inferences from the data that I have available. and then re-articulating that information in a way that's appropriate for my pilot audience, right? And sometimes that's like procedural writing. Like the engineer will be like, hey, the way you get this to work is you, you go to this menu and you click on and you flip this switch over here and then you move the throttle all the way forward and then you wait five seconds and blah, 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 blah. So, and then they give me this long description about all the stuff that happens in the background. And there's just really neat, like we like to call it um, down in the weeds type detail, right? Just really specific detail about all the different parts of the system that are working together. And I'll read that whole thing and I'll sort of look at it and be like, well, the thing the pilot needs to know is they need to do this thing first, this thing second, and this thing third. 
And they don't really need to know what's happening between step two and step three because it doesn't matter. It's not something they can see and it's not something they have control over. So I'll make the executive decision if that does not go into the, into the tech manual, it does not go into the procedural writing, we're gonna skip over that. Um, and I might summarize it in like theory of operations in a different part of the book, but maybe not, right? Because again, if it's, a de if it's too detailed for my audience, it gets left out. And that's ultimately what that translation piece is about, right? Is yes, engineering loves this stuff. They love the specificity, they love the detail, but ultimately that can be distracting to my end user, especially again, if it's not something they can see, touch, or, or in otherwise control or, or affect in some way. So I'll just leave it out. Like it's not, this, this happens automatically. There's nothing you can do about it, good or bad. So pretend it doesn't exist. <laughs> So it's the right details. So it's the right details, details yeah. <laughs> right yeah we need details, but they got to be the right details. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Um, if there's a button that does something, you're, you're going to bet that I'm going to tell you what happens when you push that button. And I'll probably even tell you what happens if you push that button at the wrong time. <laughs> if the button is important. Yeah. One thing that I've had to write, so my background, actually, I worked in corporate America for a good solid decade before I went back to school um, to get a master's degree in literature and writing. And so I did a lot of writing in the corporate world. And then I've also had semesters where I have been an interim writing center director. So I've done a lot of non-academic writing. And one, one particular type of writing I've done a lot and in, in maybe it's not called this, but it's proposal writing. Like, so when I need to ask for something or I need something to get done and I have to articulate that in writing. Um, and so I was thinking about that, that it's really not that different from making a claim or an argument and supporting it with details. So it's a type of writing that really you're doing in a lot of in essay writing, but it's just, again, format might be a little different, but it's, it's something that I've done elsewhere. Um, and it really is something that is even different whether I'm writing to my boss, which I've had to do, which of course, uber respectful writing, right? Like, so it's this <laughs> idea of like, we do write up and we write down and we write like peer to peer, which is like across, you know, and so like this, we were talking about earlier, like positional authority and like this hierarchy sometimes that even comes into play when you're thinking about your audience um because it's different like i don't if i'm writing something that's training like or i, I want an outcome like i maybe i want people who um i'm technically their boss like if i want to train them on something but i also want to you know get something done it, it's gonna have a different tone and a different it's just going to look different, right? Than if I'm writing to my boss to ask for something, you know, and then I have to defend why. Um, so inherently there's different choices you make where the critical thinking comes in, you know? And so like all of this is related where it does translate even, and you just have to trust us, right? Like I tell students, I'm like, you just have to trust me that this writing that we're doing, working on right now, even though it's an essay, um, there's a reason why this class is required and it does translate. I swear it's not the same format, but a lot of the, the moves you make um, are similar. Well, you mentioned uh, before we started recording um, that we often teach critical thinking hand in hand with the writing. And I feel like this might be a good opportunity to revisit that because you just mentioned it like, you know, we're doing this critical thinking bit in terms of determining audience and purpose, but 
Um, where else do you see that critical thinking coming in to, to our writing and, and how would that serve like writing across to the curriculum? It is generally, again, in, in the explanation, which is speaking back to what we're, um, what we were talking about in our last podcast, where it's, in, and again, that's adjusted for your audience and your purpose, right? But you have to think through, okay, what is most effective in terms of details, right? Like you were talking about this earlier too, like I may not include some details because that's not applicable and it'll just get confusing, but other details are completely essential, right? Like, so you have to think through that. And then often with work things, they're not simple answers and someone's going to not be happy by <laughs> whatever it is you're proposing. And so you almost have to um, consider the, like this bigger picture and kind of think through, okay, and acknowledge, you know, hey, you know, uh, marketing might not like this piece because <laughs> it's kind of, you know, going to make us look a little like we don't know what we're doing, but, you know, like, or however, whatever it ends up being, that's not the greatest example, but um, we, for me, it's like, I, I don't know, you have to, it, that's part of assessing your audience and purpose is thinking through it. I don't know if, well, that's true. I mean, the, the critical thinking aspect in terms of like, you know, you have to make decisions like you can't just write whatever comes. To, well, I mean, you can just write whatever comes into your head. Yeah, but, but if you're not considering audience and purpose at the time, you're going to get sort of like this stream of consciousness, sort of like a data dump, which I tell my students, if you're having trouble writing, start there and, and then find your audience <laughs> and purpose through revision. Um, mm -hmm. But so you need to make those critical choices. And like you mentioned, like the critical choices that, you know, the critical thinking choices that I make with regards to like what detail goes in and what, what gets excluded um, or left out. Um, and then I would also say that thinking about how are you going to persuade your audience? Um, I'm of the opinion that most writing, if not all writing is in some, some way persuasive. And, and I think this is why the SR rating is essay rating is so important is when, you know, we talked about last um, podcast episode about, um, show versus tell right and the quality of like persuasive writing and, and the value of sort of demonstrating how you arrived at your conclusions and i think that's that's really important in almost all writing um even advertisers right where they have very little space to like persuade their reader they're they're putting forth an assertion you want to buy our product or our service they are explaining you know giving some sort of example as why it's beneficial to you or explaining how that benefits, you know, your pocketbook or your bottom line or your health and safety, right? And then there are significances. And without this, you may be, you know, left out to dry or, or what have you, right? So it turns out that the formats that we're sort of familiar with in terms of like, you know, humanities writing persuasive paragraphs actually can be applied to other things if you think about them in general terms. In other words, what are you trying to accomplish with these parts of the paragraph? If you get too hung up on the specifics, sure, they feel like different animals. But when you start thinking about how those parts function, and what they're intended to do for the reader, you start to see that universal um, universality, I guess, is what I'm trying to get at. Uh, maybe, maybe this is a good moment for our sort of like the too long didn't read version of the podcast for our students. In other words, what is the key takeaway here? I'd say it's it, it all goes back to really thinking about your audience. And it sounds weird sometimes when students are like, what? But it, it we all write, whether it's an email, an essay, a proposal, a lab report, uh, you know, instruction manual, um, there is a sense of 
who is why do we, why do they need it and who are they you know and so the who is often secondary to the purpose right like what they're but they're they're so inner interrelated right like if, even if you think about an email it's like if i'm writing to someone who's in their teens or 20s it's going to be different even for me by the way and i'm not in my teens or 20s um versus someone my age right um i was just talking with my kids about this it's like my 16 year old she she's like you use a lot of emojis when you, you know, and she's just like, I don't do that. You know, it's, it's like, <laughs> even with texting, it's like, so I know, like, if it's like some woman in her forties, she's going to appreciate the emojis. Cause we do that. Right. Like, so it's just this sort of awareness, like, or if it's someone who's, you know, a lot older than me there, they are kind of expecting some respects and complete sentences. And so even for me, it's like, I might, you know, step it up a little bit, you know, that's, just kind of the way it works. So that's that's where it really crosses over. It does not matter that you know you're writing an essay in college and not an essay later. Yeah, that's a great point. I love your uh, I, lo I loved your your messaging example because um, I saw something the other day that was like um, oh one of my friends was sharing that their daughter they were texting with their daughter and her daughter was like why are you mad at me. <laughs> Right. And I was like, why are you mad at me? Right. <laughs> and the mom's like, I'm not mad. Why do you think I'm mad? And she's like, you're using complete sentences and punk proper punctuation. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's how I communicate via text. I'm either doing like a thumbs up emoji or if I'm going to respond, you're going to get war and peace. Right. It's the whole thing. Full sentences, punctuation, zero emojis. Like, and it's really interesting that there's this interesting, like generational gap. Right. That if you write formally, it's perceived as a bad thing by some people. Like the audience isn't expecting that they, they're expecting shorthand incomplete sentences emojis instead of punctuation but not too many emojis to speak to your point but right <laughs> enough right. right like what is that balance um yeah really fascinating right how audience will sort of receive um will sort of receive your writing if it doesn't necessarily meet their expectations uh, and i guess uh i just want to sort of as my big takeaway for this is sort of jump on top of that which is that you know although this started out as discussion about running across the genre what we sort of discovered or riding across the curriculum what we have discovered is that the the con main consideration when writing across the curriculum is that the skills that you you gain in the writing classroom translate to these other subjects because the only difference is audience and purpose mm-hmm but the core aspects of writing, again, the, the research, the argumentation, um, learning how to express yourself clearly um, and to be able to respond to the needs of your audience and the purpose, like those, those are soft skills. They're portable. They work well outside that classroom, which is why most campuses are requiring you fulfill some sort of first year writing requirement, right? Is to make sure that at the very least, other students, regardless of where they're coming into the university from, or at least leaving that point with a common set of skills, right? That hopefully they've met all the student learning objectives and they're prepared to participate effectively in their academic career. So that's my that's my big takeaway. In other words, don't treat the GEW classroom or the first year writing classroom as this sort of like isolated sphere that's just checking a box on the way to your major. Recognize that it's an opportunity to build your skill set that's going to serve you really well down the road. I feel like a good place to end it. That was solid. That was strong. All right. So we're going to wrap up this episode of Rightfully So, uh, Writing Across the Curriculum. We'll hope that you uh, come back each week to hear each new episode as we continue to explore uh, 
all of the magic that happens in the writing classroom and talk about why your instructors might be making certain decisions and talking about what you can do to improve your skill as a writer. And in the meantime, get out there and write something.